Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. I'm your host, Mishka Katkoff, and today we are going to talk about Netflix games. We're going to start with a recap, talk about what has happened till date, you know, the markets that they've entered, the type of games they've been releasing, the type of games they're talking about. Then we're going to dive deep and talk about the chosen strategy. Does it work? What could they do better if they could do better? And where we'd see Netflix games heading uh, in, in the short and long term. And finally, as always, we're going to talk about different predictions, you know, talk about the uh, the end game, how will the mobile players face the frictions and you name it. Anyways, it's a it's a fun podcast because I have two fantastic guests. First and foremost, we have Chris Heatherly, who is the former senior vice president at Disney and NBC Universal, heading games for both of those two corporations in Hollywood. So should have a lot of great insights to share. And secondly, uh, Importantly, we have Ethan Levi, a true free-to-play games professional, executive producer at Network, has a wealth of knowledge and experience in free-to-play games. So very interesting to hear his opinion, especially since he has written two separate articles about Netflix games on the Deconstructor of Fun blog. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. It was fun to record, kind of off the cuff, but usually those kind of podcasts are the best ones. And... Before we kick it off, I want to give a shout out to our amazing sponsors, Iron Source, Facebook Gaming, Beamable, and AppsFlyer. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do, do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is Games Marketing Insights for 2021, a report that has just been released and is available to download for free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful UA and monetization strategies through a range of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash DOF for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. It's easy to make good choices when you have good insights, right? Well, AppSlyer's open platform provides the measurement, analytics, engagement, and fraud protection technologies you need to get the answers to all of your questions and make good choices for your business and customers. Is customer privacy important for you? Good. With AppSlyer, you can accurately measure your marketing while protecting customer privacy. Bringing in new customers is great. Getting accurate insights while protecting your customers' privacy is even better. AppSlyer's privacy-preserving measurement and cost aggregation technologies give you insights you can count on across channels, platforms, and devices. And here's something we all agree on. When it comes to the marketing, you should only pay for what works. AppSlyer's incremental lift testing makes it easy to make good choices for your marketing budget through accurate, unbiased insights into the true value of your marketing outcomes. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. We want to make sure that the performance is there. Waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. Welcome, 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 everybody. We have two fantastic guests to talk about fantastic companies. So today we're going to talk about Netflix, especially Netflix games business. 
and the guests, drum roll. <laughs> Sadly, I don't have a button for a drum roll. <laughs> Insert drum roll. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, first and foremost, we have got Chris Heatherly, former Disney NBC Universal executive, games industry veteran, advisor, consultant, angel investor. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. I'm very excited to be here. Who better to talk about big corporation entering into games industry than a person who has worked at NBC and Disney's games business? I know so. all about the board. <laughs> exactly. So I <laughs> know everything about. And then the second fantastic guest, Ethan Levy, games as a service expert, specialized on intersection between game design, monetization strategy, part game designer, part product manager, part UX designer, part marketer, part dad. I would just describe you as uh, as the uh, the American version of Adam Telfer. Ethan, welcome back to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me again. I uh, I love to hear myself talk, so well, it's a great opportunity. <laughs> Let's put it this way. Other people like to hear you talk more than you like to hear yourself talk. So uh, multiple times been talking on, on GDC. So anyway, Ethan, if you haven't seen Ethan talk or haven't you know engaged in his topics, check out GDC Vault amazing talks always on like the top of the leaderboard in the GDC talks. So, so thank you. Very knowledgeable person. Now knowledgeable person on NFTs. So yes. That's, yeah. that's the, uh, that's the topic. If you want to connect with Ethan, that's my new beat. I, I look forward to talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> that's your more gene. about that. That's your, <laughs> that's your, that's your beef. That's your, I've, uh, I've gone full <laughs> blockchain, full crypto bro in the service of, in, in the span of about six months. So exactly. So, in case my company raises gazillion dollars, <laughs> gazillion million dollars, it's because Ethan has been uh, advising us on the back end. But no, this, we're not talking about myself. We're talking about Netflix games. So let's get to the topic. Ethan, you've been writing a lot about Netflix, two articles on Deconstructor of Fun. You've been really following the development of this Netflix going into games, which was really rapid. Like they yeah. informed that they're going into games and boom, they had like a couple of studios, games launched, you name it. So can you walk us down the memory lane of Netflix games, first rumors to today? Go ahead, yeah. Ethan. Yeah, awesome. Um, so uh, it's it's been really good that we've actually delayed this a couple times because every time we delay it, there are at least two more announcements to talk about, which is a really um, interesting pace of news out of Netflix. So, you know, Netflix has... Um, in the past had some games. They had Stranger Things games that were both PC and mobile games. Uh, they did kind of typical licensing deals. I think maybe Dead by Daylight and Payday 2, that type of event-driven, hey, Money Heist is in Payday 2 or Narcos is in X. You know, I don't I don't have a, a, an exact memory of which those were, so I might be getting those wrong. But uh, a couple months ago, there were rumors uh, that Netflix was getting into gaming and it was a very vague uh, rumor on the insider or whichever it was a very like um, kind of rumory clickbaity website behind a paywall uh, and sparse reporting there, but then followed up on Axios and Polygon and a bunch of great places. Um, and that was when I wrote the first article of like, okay, well, is Netflix doing Apple Arcade? How much would it cost? What are the different business models? Why might they be doing it? You and I talked a lot about like what could be the different combinations of what Netflix gaming would be like. Um, and then somewhere around that time, you pointed out that they had a Stranger Things Match 3 battle game, very similar to uh, Legendary Game Heroes or Empires and Puzzles uh, in soft launch. Um, shortly thereafter, we saw Mike Verdu get hired. Uh, we saw them soft launch uh, mobile games inside the Netflix app on Android, uh, just the Stranger Things games to start. And then there was a formal announcement of the Netflix gaming ambitions and a lot of details shared in the investor call. And I think that's kind of where the most substantial information about their plans have come from. Um, and then since that date you know we've seen they launched uh, a tie-in to the movie kate kind of i'd call it a single a indie game it's either like a triple i or a single a it looks like in terms of quality premium pc game tied into the action movie kate but launched about a month later uh they've added some hyper casual games to their android app and the biggest news i think was they purchased a really great studio uh night drive with makers of oxen free 
that's that's one that seems like a really um that one seems really clear because oxen free is a great narrative driven game uh, it's hard to do that type of high quality storytelling in video games so that f- seems like an interesting fit so there's there's been a lot going on and you know so far really what we know is they're taking a long-term view have a ton of money to invest you know they might they've been very clear that they're going to experiment with a lot of things and we've seen that already with a premium pc game a hyper casual game purchasing oxen the oxen free devs um and we know that you know they're in in that first article i wrote i made a lot of uh, conjecture and one of them was like well, they're going to try and make a bunch of money with the mobile games, and that's going to be really hard, and they kind of need better IP to do that. Uh, and I think something that's been reinforced, at least verbally a lot, is they're saying, we're a one-product company, we're all about the subscription, and this is adding value to our subscription. And so, yeah, that's hopefully a, a quick recap of all the uh, the Netflix news that we know when it comes to Netflix gaming. One thing you didn't say is that um, subscriptions have actually been in decline, right, for Netflix. Right. And so, you know, one of the things that I sort of posited was they're spending, I mean, uh, I don't have the exact numbers, but at one point they were spending more on television and movie content than all of Hollywood. So, you know, all of Hollywood combined. Now that's changed as all the other studios have kind of upped their budget. Everyone's trying to catch up. <laughs> Yeah, but there's a there there there's only so many creatives. There's only there's only so many Shonda Rhimes type people or Ryan Murphys that you can get to make uh, a television series that are high quality. I mean, even the fact that you know, I love Squid Game. If you guys are watching Squid Game, like if you're not, you have to watch it. But it's on, it's on my um, list. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about Netflix on the video side is that they're taking content from around the world and making it into global kind of global phenomenon. And the fact that a Korean series that is, you know, foreign language and subtitles would be, you know, one of the fastest growing, one of the biggest series launches that they've ever done is, you know, kind of talks about the kind of global nature of where, where Netflix is going and what you can do with that platform. Maybe kind of talks about what they, how, how that platform can give, you know, Halo to, you know, content um, and what it might mean in games. But anyway, my point is, you know, they're now having to basically source from other countries um, to bring in content because they've tapped out Hollywood. Right. And so, you know, they're just making as much Hollywood content as they can. And yet they're still losing subs. And they're very worried about these in particular millennials and Gen Z that are, you know, have gotten wise to the idea that they can, you know, that they can cut their streaming service when a show, you know, in between seasons of stranger things or whatever um and you know shift their dollars over to you know hbo max or to or to disney plus or or watch for free on peacock so you know they're trying to find ways to retain in particular those younger audiences and they think they can do it through games right and and uh so you know i think what you're seeing is a multi pronged approach to try to figure out the gaming space i mean right they haven't dropped big dollars yet right um you know they haven't made you know a triple a game yet i i assume that one day that will be coming um i the way i interpret a lot of what they've done so far is that they had a bunch of games that were in developed on development on the licensing side and they said, hey, instead of making these licensed games, we'll pay the developers and we'll flip these to games that we can experiment with uh, in the Netflix games subscri- subscription. They even went back and took some Stranger Things games that I think had been released as premium releases or whatever had been yep. released as standalone and 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 took those out of circulation as standalones and put them in the in the sub. So that to me is just kind of like, taking content they were already working on it's not really indicative of where they're gonna head um you know i don't know for example how to interpret things like this hyper casual move which i think is something we should talk about which seems uh the wisdom of that seems seems a little murky to me but right you know the, the night school purchase to me i mean you know mike verdu is a very smart guy he's been around the industry um you know he knows that the first acquisition he makes is going to say a lot about where this is headed 
the night school guys are friends of mine. You know, when, when we first had this debate on LinkedIn, you know, oh, I, I apologize. I said night dive, didn't I? That's a different indie studio night school. Indie I studio. apologize. <laughs> but, um, but congrats to, to, to Sean and, and, and the whole team over there at, at night school. But, um, when, when we first debated this on LinkedIn, I, you know, I sort of said, look, I think the natural for these guys is story driven content. That's what they do in the video and television side. It's underserved in gaming. Um, if you look at single, you know, like, uh, you know, single player story games that, you know, a lot of people love to play, um, you know, those have tended to become or, you know, those have tended to become platform exclusives um, and they're not as viable um, from an investment standpoint in kind of the, you know, multi-platform market. The If you look at the games that tend to get developed for, you know, multiple platforms, um, you know, they tend to be multiplayer because those tend to have the the biggest upside potential. So there's a, there's a lot of demand for story-driven content, but not a lot of great developers in that space and also not a lot of people funding it. And it was made, it just seems like it's in Netflix's DNA to me. So buying Night School is completely in that vein. And I think it says, you know, they're going to want to buy Prestige, developers with kind of an indie sensibility who bring a lot of, you know, gamer cred and indie cred um, and try to replicate um, on the game side what they did in the early days of prestige television with House of Cards and Orange is the New Black and some of those early shows that put them on the map. Well, something that's so interesting about that is like if, if the goal is to keep people on subscription, like story driven games uh, especially with any sort of branching are really hard to produce time consuming and mm-hmm. like um and as and premium like premium type games hyper casual games do not have good retention and like retaining people right. on mobile i think requires either uh, multiplayer games or live operated games. And those live operated games can be in the form of constantly releasing levels and episodes of Gardenscapes or in constantly running live events in uh, Legendary. And like, uh, I guess, you know, other than maybe uh, Pocket Gems and other people who are competing on that live operated story level, um, I think that the. Uh, the pool of developers who are doing narrative work that fits the business objective is actually very limited. Right. Yeah. I think that's really true, but I think it's going to be a mixture, right? Cause um, there, there are developers out there like super massive that, that will do, you know, triple a style, you know, story content. That's the equivalent of a Netflix movie. Um, you, you know, one thing to think about though, and I, and I said this in our, in our LinkedIn posts is, you have to think about the value for money of gaming. Even when you talk about story-driven gaming, I mean, you take a game like Last of Us 2, and that's like, what, probably 15 hours, 17 hours. I mean, and that's for one play, right? You also have replayability if you really want to go in and be a completionist about it. Um, You know, if you look at the value for money in games, I've always tried to make the argument in Hollywood unsuccessfully um, that, um, you know, that that for your dollar, you get much more engagement per, you know, per dollar in your, in your content and gaming, simply because game mechanics are repeatable and they create this magical thing called retention that, uh, that video content can't do. Um, so, you know, you're right that, that over time, I think they will, you know, get into multiplayer games and some of those other things, but I think it's going to be a blend, you know, they'll have triple A stuff. They'll have smaller indie stuff. They'll have some multiplayer stuff. Um, you know, I think it's going to be a blend of content stuff like hyper casual doesn't, it doesn't make any sense to me at all because hyper casual is an acquisition play. And I would argue that Netflix doesn't need acquisition. They need, they need right. retention. Yeah. I thought, uh, my, my actual thought when I saw that, um, that they added those two hyper casual games. The thing that would make the most sense to me would be that it's a test of the technology that they just needed something to put in the app that was made by another outside developer. Cause like, yeah, hyper casual, hyper casual games have uh, terrible retention. And so if your goal is to like get more people onto your subscription app, like a flip the bottle style game is not going to 
I, I don't, you know, like a crosswords game or one of those puzzle cookie, uh, spelling cookie games. That's the type of hyper casual game I could see. Like, uh, I could see a space for Netflix making competitors that are either annoying in how ad driven they are or like annoying and asking for money and just making free equivalents. And that could be something that retains people. Like if you just had a free gardenscapes or a free, um, I forget what word cookies, you know, I could see people replacing the thing that they have um, with a free thing. That's part of their subscription. They're already paying for. Yeah. Uh, I feel like hyper casual, that model is like the antithesis of what, um, of what, netflix wants to be right it's like highly mm-hmm. advertising driven it's low retention um you know it's all an arbitrage you know it's all a user acquisition eyeball arbitrage like um you know it their whole company's built around it you can't just launch three or four of them a year you have to launch you know 20 30 40 50 of those games to make that model work i you know i sort of feel like it's a ponzi scheme um in a way but with eyeballs um but uh you, you know uh, mishka's like whoa <laughs> no but i mean it, it, it's 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 a it's it's a tough model to make work right and you have to build a whole company like a voodoo or a you know app 11 around it to to really make it to make it into a business so i have to imagine they're just doing it as a as an experiment where where i think netflix can be really disruptive is if they were to do Gardenscapes or, or a game like that, that's completely live operated and highly competitive in that sense um, with the same amount of content coming out, but that is completely subscription, um, you know, without free to play that and where it's already part of your Netflix subscription. I think that could be pretty disruptive and, you know, look, Netflix has the ability, they have everyone on the service I think one of my questions is how how much focus are they really going to give on to um, cross promotion these gaming apps? Because one version of this is they fully get behind it and they like just start pushing people in these apps. They drive they become a major driver of downloads, right? And and if they do that, you've got all these velvet roped games and uh, you know and it starts to compete against free to play because. Uh, you know, you've already got it as part of your Netflix subscription. The other version of this is they don't really get behind it from a cross promotional standpoint. It's buried in the interface. Not a lot of people find it, you know, and in that version, it doesn't really do a lot. I think the difference potentially between this and, and Apple arcade in the, in the kind of success case is that, um, I would argue that Netflix has probably more people coming back to Netflix on a daily basis than the App Store does at this mm. point, because yeah. as we all know, the number of, you know, p- most people have installed most of the apps they're ever going to install and they're going to the App Store less and less where Netflix has new content pulling you back. So if that's true and they use that real estate effectively to cross promote games, they could be very di- uh, disruptive. My question is, at what point does that ha- become competitive with their video priorities, and are they really gonna are they really gonna go there and and kind of blast the cannon, or are they gonna? And my guess is what will happen is eventually they'll do something big, they'll do some AAA game, or it'll be something from night school, and they'll say, okay, this one priority we want to get behind, and they'll shift a ton of traffic to it, see what they can do, and then they'll go, oh holy shit, and that'll unlock the whole thing. All right, let me let me summarize kind of in between, uh, so so that I get to say something as well. No, no, no I'm just kidding. So that so that we kind of ground ourselves and then move yeah. on to to further there. So the way I'm understanding is they have a very methodical approach. Uh, they're testing on mobile because they're soft launching in different countries, so they're really testing what works, what doesn't. They're not committed to to anything, and they also seem to have a very diverse approach in the type of games they're making, as well as the platforms they're approaching. Now, when I look at the uh, the public statements by, let's say, the chief operating officer, who's also the chief product officer of Netflix, Greg Peters, um, he said, first of all, he said Netflix is really thinking about this as a core part of our subscription offering, just like you guys said. Uh, and so we're so so we measure it very much like we do around the success of adding incremental movies 
or adding incremental series, which is that ultimately those are about being compelling to members, having them engage and talk about it and having them be a part of the social conversation that's out there. We see those benefits and retention, obviously, if we are delivering more value there, the members stay with us longer. And, and that really is kind of when you guys are talking about the hyper casual, we're talking about the different games. If that's the retention play, you know, you guys are saying hyper casual games don't have good retention. They have fantastic retentions, especially, but just not a long term retention. But in the beginning, they do have a great retention. Well, not not good retention for a monthly subscription, yeah. right? If you're yeah. if your day sixty is almost always zero, yeah. right? Like I I do agree. But, it's, it's very yeah. confusing when they put in the the, uh, the couple of hyper casual games that didn't even have a tie in. Like if it would be a catch up hyper casual game that usually has an ip tie and like a prince of persia they made a hyper casual game out of that like that i would kind of understand that they would do a tie into a heist you know uh, some kind of a uh, i don't know knife throwing game or whatever like super simple but at least it has some kind of a tie-in uh but but my question kind of like for you guys is like when you think about their focus if the focus is on the subscription are these type of games really correct games to achieve this because they're trying to achieve few things they're trying to keep users inside the app whether they are on the phone or whether they are on the uh, the tv or or wherever you 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 know ch check out your netflix from and are these type of games correct to drive people back to the app because i think those are the two things that they're doing so ethan what do you think yeah so i think that um if i was uh trying to figure out portfolio strategy at Netflix, I would be trying to figure out multiplayer games, right? I would be doing an extraction FPS right now. Like, I think that's their biggest IP that's about shooting people. And uh, you need a game about multiplayer game about shooting people, right? Like, uh, I think that, I mean, this is in my initial article, something I said is like, they don't have a lot of IP that lends itself naturally to the known uh, genres in video games um and so it's like they need you know they they need a multiplayer they need a bunch of multiplayer plays that's going to be their best shot at like long-term retention whether it's a cs go type game or an overwatch type game or a Fortnite, uh they're probably going to want a moba they're going to want uh some puzzle games with live operations <laughs> no, no MOBAs. Right? let's stop uh, with mobas let's stop <laughs> with like no mobas <laughs> No, we, we see what the Pokemon is like. If the Pokemon can't do it, like, let's stop with MOBAs, period. We've got League of Legends. Let's move on. <laughs> well, I yeah. So I think that um, they need to be, uh, they should be focusing on games that have multi-year retention. Like known genres with multi-year retention yeah. and investing in competitive products in that space. Um, and I think one of the challenges is going to be, um, let's say they do have that extraction counter-strike style game, right? Like, um, when you're putting a multiplayer game behind a walled garden, you're naturally limiting the number of people who can even get to it, which is critical for a multiplayer game. So like, are you going to have enough Netflix subscribers on Android trying out, uh, the extraction battle royale game to make a living, breathing game that grows over time or not. You know, it's a very serious challenge. Um, so, yeah, my short, uh, my, I, I think the more premium style games they do, the less likely they are to see the retention benefits they're looking for. That's totally true from a metric standpoint, but my question is positioning right like who is this who is this service for mm. um you know and this this was one of the big problem I, I think amongst the big problems for stadia right which is that stadia focused on you know went right at core gamers but the problem with core gamers is they already have game consoles and they, you know, that like they didn't need a service like Stadia, and also the technology that 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 Stadia, you know, the technology of Stadia was a was the worst fit with Twitch style, you know, first person shooter games and things like that. So, you know, if they had gone after a more casual audience, they might have had a different or, or a different type of audience. They might have had a different result. I think the challenge for Netflix is 
if you go in and do a MOBA or first person shooter or something like that, you know, those things seem really intuitive for a lot of reasons, but also those are the most critical, um, you know, users where you're, where you're, you know, destined to get the most like jaded response you can possibly get. Um, so I can see why they would want to start off with content like, you know, the stuff from night school, because, uh, you know, they're just far less likely to get torn apart by gamers on that stuff. I think you're right. Long-term, they've got to have those kind of, those, those types of games to build, to really benefit from the retention that, 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 that games can create. But, but short-term, I think they're wise to kind of step into it. Okay. So, so summary, just making like more simple games short-term and then in the future, focusing on actually games that have a long-term retention like social games mm -hmm. okay let's take a little break and talk about how to boost your live ops now we all know that you need great people and fantastic tools to get the most out of your live games and i'm sure you got the people part covered but how fantastic your true your tools truly are well listen if your game is made with unity you need to check out beamable Beamable is like an operating system for live games built in Unity. Beamable simplifies everything from updating your game to selling all those cool in-game items with special offers. And when it comes to live events and competitive features like leaderboards, Beamable got you covered. And Beamable is not only for your product folks, with visual prefabs for Unity and the ability to keep you all to keep all your server code in C sharp means life is simpler for your programmers, and most importantly, you'll get to the market faster. If much lower cost of development and efficiency of operations is your jam, then Beamable is your toast. Go to beamable.com because deconstructor of fun told you so. So I have a question kind of following, like going forward. Uh, one of the, I'm quoting again, their, their chief product officer, Greg Peters. He said, we see those values in acquisition as well, because if there's a great game that lots of people are talking about to their friends, their colleagues, their family, then that's a source of acquisition for us as well. Now, this leads to kind of a thing like we know that Netflix has limitless resources. What kind of a companies they should acquire? Because you guys were very, you know, bullish about them acquiring night school which i've never heard of but most likely it has to be a great studio what are the other type of acquisition especially on the mobile side that they should be looking at other than the network of course right they should buy network with the rider that they buy out my stock first at a 10x premium right that's that's standard operating practice of course, of course. <laughs> but other than, other than that, I'm just kind of covering. So we're not, <laughs> not doing that. Like, like what, what would be the companies, not necessarily on mobile, but what are the sort of the companies that they, in your opinion, should be looking at? Well, I think um, something we haven't talked about is that Ethan made a comment that the IP that they have isn't really, um, you know, necessarily a fit with gaming. I actually think they're trying to go the other direction, which is I think they're going to acquire gaming studios that have IP that they can turn into Netflix mm. series and movies. So that, right. you know, that's how, what how many of those haven't been bought by Sony and Microsoft already. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot of those have. Um, but if you look at, if you look at um, the night school thing, I totally expect that Oxen Free is going to be made into a TV series. Like it seems like it would be a miss if it wasn't. Um, you know, and there are other developers like that. I mentioned, you know, Supermassive is one, um, you know, so I, if you look at what's been driving Netflix growth lately, gaming, gaming IP has been a big part of it. The Witcher, Castlevania, um, they're doing, I mean, I forget all the series that they're doing, but they've got probably a dozen anime series that are based on game IP coming, um, you know, and a couple of big live action series, um, so, you know, they get that, you know, all the comic books, novels, uh, you know, like, you know, uh, 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 vintage, you know, retro 80s IP, like all that stuff has been strip mined, right? The last kind of, uh, you know, deep well of content is gaming that hasn't been exploited by Hollywood. So <clears throat> mm -hmm. I think there's a play there for them to go buy uh, gaming companies that have some IP or just really hot creative studios and have them, you know, and then take that content into the linear side. 
Hmm. I think that's one type of company. That's interesting. Would would there be some companies that you could name? I mean, listen, they have they don't have to buy something for one hundred million. They they have billions. They could buy anything. Like, what would be out of the companies that you know everybody knows? Those type of companies that would have an interesting. Well, if you got billions of dollars, I'd buy Capcom. Boom. I mean, you know, Street Street Fighter should be as big as uh, you know Marvel or Star Wars or you know it's a totally underexploited content. Um, I, I might buy Weeby off of, uh, Warner, you know, I think it's, I think it's likely that discovery, I, I don't know that discovery will want to hang on to, um, you know, will want to hang on to Weeby. And so, you know, Weeby owns Mortal Kombat, right? Um, so if you got the Mortal Kombat IP, that might be, that may, that might be interesting. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I think Sega could be another one. Um, that's got, you know, a lot of a people lot of certainly love stuff. Sonic the Hedgehog, right? What's yeah, Sonic, Sonic the Hedgehog. They also have the guys who made uh, Alien Isolation, right? I'm, I'm I'd, blanking on the name of the studio. I'd watch a Yakuza show for sure. And a lot of my friends would. I know it's a great. Right. So if you're willing to spend but... billions of dollars, there are companies out there that I think that, that they're bigger legacy gaming companies that um, that have not necessarily totally figured out free to play by the way that you could, that you could pick mm-hmm. up. And is I, that a good idea in your opinion to, to like to pay a lot for a company that has both ability to execute, to ship good games as well as IPs that can be multiplied into TV shows. Oh yeah. Is that what- I mean, anytime you do acquisitions like that, you're looking for, I mean, the reason, so one of the things we, we that's that, that you, when I was at universal, the a lot you know this is a little inside baseball but you know everybody in town in hollywood looked at buying marvel and and most of the studios turned it down um and part of the reason they turned it down is because if you because if you bought marvel they had rights with all these studios and you had to go buy them out and it was going to be billions and billions of dollars to get the whole thing unencumbered and when i went to universal the executives there at the very top asked me why was Bob Iger able to get to these to to the three billion dollar number for I think it was three or four billion dollars for Marvel, which was hugely criticized at the time as being overpaying and now looks super cheap. But how right. was Bob Iger able to get to that number? And, you know, none of the other studios in town would would touch it. And the answer is that the Disney machine you know, through synergy knew, knows how to take an IP like a Marvel or star Wars and, you know, five, 10 exit right through, through all the things that they do and theme parks and, and making TV shows for Disney plus and all consumer products and all that other stuff. Same thing with Netflix. Netflix has all of the, you know, has the ability to extract value out of these games in probably the best way of, of anyone in the media industry on the film and television side. They're also building their consumer products business. They haven't had a huge consumer product spin out yet. But I mean, you know, when I was on Disney Princess, you know, I ran the the Disney, you know, the Disney toy business for a while. Disney Princess alone was like a $5 billion brand uh, in consumer products. So if you, you know, if you, if you do it right, like, and you, and you buy a company, a games company that's got underval- underexploited IP, undervalued IP, there's a lot of value to be unlocked for, by, by someone like a Netflix. And they can overpay mm-hmm. relative to what a, uh, an EA could, could spend or an Activision could spend because they have all those other pieces of the company. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the challenges um, about some of those, because like, I love Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter. I have at least seven of each of them like over on my wall over there and those are character heavy games but the characters are very thin and so when you get to something like the mortal Kombat movie like i actually i really loved the mortal Kombat movie i thought it was super fun but it doesn't have the same um like when i'm excited about um seeing loki as a show or seeing the Hawkeye show like Marvel, each of their characters have some element of backstory and history and some amount of things that someone who's super into it, like me, like I can watch the show and I laugh out loud at something and my wife doesn't understand it at all and thinks I'm an idiot. Like Guile doesn't have a big backstory where Guile's ready to get his own TV show. 
and I feel like um, the attempts at, at uh, uh, widening out Mortal Kombat, some in both animation and movies and shows, you know, some have been more successful than others. Um, but, but I don't think we had a game Kevin Feige yet, right? I mean, you know, we haven't had someone who really comes from the genre. Who and look, I'll tell you, having worked in Hollywood. There are directors out there, you know, Colin Trevorrow is one that comes to mind who, you know, some of these, some of these directors are our age now, they're, they know games, right? It's just, we're just, you know, somebody like a James Gunn, you put him on, 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 on Street Fighter and, you know, just cash the checks. Yeah. Yeah. It almost, uh, uh. It's funny that the if you're thinking about legacy IP, you know, I don't think any of the Atari stuff would work really well. Um, EA's yeah. legacy catalog is mostly about um, sports, so there's not a lot of like rich IP there. You're really thinking about Japanese games companies like Konami and Capcom and Sega. Yeah. And I do want, you know, uh, being being a total outsider in this, I would think that um, that sort of uh, acquisition, you know, if they picked up Konami or Konami's gaming division, you know, I, I think it would be a very interesting uh, uh, story arc to turn into its actual own show. Um, I think uh, uh, um, I kind of said it before, like Pocket Gems seems like uh, a natural fit. Right, like who else is doing live-operated mobile-based storytelling games better than them? Um, so I have to imagine that's part of the conversation, Chris. When they're when you're um, at one of these big media companies talking about games, like how are they thinking about their IP? Are they, uh, you know, or, it, do you think they're having a lot of conversations about turning their IP into games, which a lot of us assume? about building new TV and movies out of games, about building new IP from the ground up? Like, what what would you guess the shape of these sorts of conversations are? Well, it changes. I think, you know, um, when I was there, um, there was renewed interest in gaming IP, but also some skepticism around whether gaming IP could be made into good movies. But then, you know, then we would have the debate about, well, you haven't had the Kevin Feige yet. So, um, you know, I think that Mortal Kombat actually was kind of a big moment um, because that's not a very good movie. And it didn't have a, um, you know, a big director on it like it was a first time director. Um, So they didn't get a, you know, they didn't get a, you know a Taika Waititi or, you know, or James Gunn or someone who's a name for it. Um, and yet, uh, you know, the movie has been, you know, has done really, really well on HBO Max. And, you know, there's no question that it's going to get a sequel. So, you know, I think that, um, you know, that may have shown the pop cultural traction. You know, Witcher is another one that I think has shown what what game IP can do. So it's getting to a place where, both the scarcity of kind of, you know, comic book and, you know, uh, you know, book IP and that kind of stuff is, is drying up, you know, they've kind of tapped that well. And the fact that games have become so the thing that happened over the pandemic is that it's now undeniable how big gaming is in the zeitgeist, right? Before the pandemic, it was very, Hollywood had this attitude that like, you know, hey, we, we're the kings of the hill and those video games you guys make are cute, but they're kind of for nerds in their basement. During the pandemic, I think it's undeniable that like everybody is playing games. And so the attitude has really shifted. The problem for these movie studios is most of them, Disney, uh, you know, Universal have gotten uh, out of games, right? And have declared that they have no interest in being in games um, for now. You know, Warner flirted with selling their division and then decided not to. I think that may come back on the plate. But, you know, so 
you know, it's unlikely that you see Hollywood, that you see old school Hollywood want to go, want to go into games. And so the way they'll want to look at is more from the perspective of, can we do a deal with a games company to get their IP? I think someone like Netflix that's declared that they're going to go into games and has the capital to do big acquisitions, it may be a different story. I doubt they go out and buy something like a Capcom or something that big, but I wouldn't be surprised if they buy, you know, something in the, you know, you know, nine figure kind of range, right. That, 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 um, is a, you know, is a name studio that's done AAA type content that, okay. that has it. They, they need to, they need to buy Bioware out of EA because there's definitely a prestige <laughs> show in Mass Effect. There's a prestige show in Dragon Age. There's probably a prestige show in Jade Empire, but that wasn't a, a very big game even. Or they, they need to buy Take Two so that they well, get Red you know, Dead yeah, and GTA. I, mean, I go back to Weeby. Like, if we, Weeby could sell for you know billions of dollars... Um, and if you got the entire Midway catalog, there's a lot, there's a lot of IP in there that's underexploited, right? I, I so want to make a smash TV game or uh, I just love smash TV. It's a great game. It's a great piece of arcade game history. I don't know. I have to, I have to say like, like there are, there are definitely a lot of challenges with making game with making um, other type of in entertainment of gaming IPs. And there's not that many great cases where that has happened. And I know that that might sound, you know, initially thinking like a fun idea. Mortal Kombat, of course, was a legendary movie series. Uh, a lot of people watch those and, you know, straight to DVD type of movies, but still like very campy and, and fun. But a lot of, in, in my perception, a, a lot of these things just go directly to garbage, especially the bigger the gaming IP it is, the more sort of a demand there is for that to be uh, a certain type of movie or a TV series. A good example would be World of Warcraft. I mean, they made a movie out of it. They're the, they're the guy from Vikings was in the, uh, in, in the main role, and that's, that's like one of the biggest gaming IPs out there, and it was total trash. Yeah. Pe- people who engage with World of Warcraft hated it. Which, which is, uh, and that is coming from a studio that is known for its narrative design. Like narrative design is in their core values. That's what they do. Now, if you can't do that with Blizzard, I would argue that it's not actually that easy to do with other type of studios that have that narrative. And I would argue actually the other way around. Those companies that that have good games and an ability to execute, but haven't invested maybe that much into narrative, might be actually better targets for an acquisition because you can build them that narrative. You have free reigns. The, the the audience doesn't expect certain things. They haven't been taught certain things. They're like, oh, cool. There's there's a narrative around it. Angry Birds is a good example. Totally, you know, ugly game with no narrative in the beginning. And they made a movie out of it and people loved it, the first part, you know, because it was just like something fresh. It was unexpected. And the, uh, and the studios had free reigns to build a story around it and to make whatever they want to test with the audience to find something. So I would argue the other way around, just buy something that that has good games, has executed on good games, and then build a narrative because you're great at that. You have all these Hollywood studios that that you know with the best of the best writers who can do whatever. So they'll, so, so they'll buy playrics and we'll have the gardenscapes. Yeah. The Albert, I want I want to know what what's behind that creepy Albert. Like he's he's in Guys, multiple games. What's like. what's going on with the fish in all those ads? Does he ever escape? I need to know what is his backstory. Yeah, it's, it's like maybe that, but but you know, like any of that. Like listen, even like Supercell's IPs, like Heyday, for example. Heyday has no story. Like it, it's the it's the lamest story you can find. Like oh, here's your your aunt left you or whatever. Your your uncle or aunt left you a, a farm now farm and make money it's like okay well there's plenty to build around here you can make it in something fun you know farmville the same thing kind of boring ips but a lot of you know core audience for netflix have played those games and you could have fun around that you could have kind of you can make jokes around it so you know you know to, to go to chris's example of um night school studios earlier and kind of the uh, uh big successful indie side games you know one of netflix's most popular shows is umbrella academy and i'm a comic book person and umbrella academy isn't a giant comic book i had never 
uh, heard of it uh, personally before it came out. Like The Boys is from an indie label. It's one of the biggest shows in the world now. And like The Boys wasn't a Marvel or DC. It wasn't one of those comic book um, titles that pe- that that kind of a an average comic book fan, not like a super. A core fan knows so maybe there's just you know there's there's so many indie games that i own that i haven't even played right like my bet if if you could do the same thing you've done with umbrella academy my steam and epic games backlog has at least 20 hit shows in it out of those 800 to 1000 games that i've never played you know that i either bought or got for free yeah so I wanted to I wanted to jump on to the next stuff that that again I'm I'm just gonna quote Greg Peters because he he mm-hmm. underlines so many things out of that strategy and kind of hear your opinion. So he said on about mobile. He said initially we'll be primarily focused on games for mobile devices. Uh, we think mobile is a great platform for games. Clearly, it's very mature. It's got great enabling technology, tools, a great developer community. And the vast majority of our members have phones that are capable of great gameplay experience. So the question around that is like, is this the smartest thing to go on mobile? And secondly, how does the uh, the mobile monetization works for them? Because their games are inside their subscription ad. Like, are they going to monetize outside App Store, which is now possible? Like they would have some kind of a, you know, just like they do with a Netflix subscription. Or do they have to go through the Apple or Google payment system? Or are they talking when they're talking about mobile? I feel like they're talking both making games for their app uh, to be inside their app, as well as games outside the app that somehow are tied in with the IP, just like the uh, uh, the Stranger Thing, Things game by Next mm-hmm. Games. So what do you guys think about that? So in, the, in that article, the second article I wrote, um, my prediction here kind of when when I came to it I was like oh this is the easiest business case of all time right if if they can spend you know cuz in the first one I was like it's going to cost them like 300 million dollars to even compete with half of Apple Arcade's catalog and that's a lot of money and are they going to make it back or not then once I started reading what they were saying in the shareholder call and talking about how they're a one product company and thinking about the number of subscriptions they have, if they spent $300 million over five years building game content, and then at the end of that, they said, we're increasing the price of the subscription by $1 a month. And the reason we're doing that is because we have all this great gaming content. And it all of a sudden, like they make back that investment within a year. And it doesn't matter what the, they never have to release metrics on those games. Those games never have to come out independently or not. Like if, if the, if my prediction that the end game is, is a subscription price increase justification, like they can do anything and it'll work. Right. Because it's an incredibly sticky product and like, really they're just like looking for a reason to increase the price. So that was, that was my prediction that it's, you know, it's all about their core subscription. And so they're not going to have any additional, you know, these, these different PC premium products are like weird holdovers and, you know, license the primary purpose is to uh, keep people subscribed, which, you know, it'll take a real hit game with live ops, multi-year retention to do that meaningfully. Uh, But if all, but if all they do is increase the subscription price by a dollar, with this as a justification, it can, you know, it can justify a, an investment of hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I don't think, I agree. I don't think they're going to try to monetize these games at all other than, than the existing subscription. And I think, you know, they've already got their deal worked out with Apple on how they, on how they monetize both, both in and outside of the app store, um, you know, and I, I, my guess is they don't even have the ability to monetize, you know, to buy a subscription in these apps to begin with. It's probably just log in with your Netflix password and, 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 and play, um, you know, but I could see them, you know, adding, uh, you know, the ability to subscribe if you're not already a subscriber into those apps, um, you know, and I, I think they, that, that they already kind of have those deals worked out with Apple. So I don't, you know, I don't think that there's a lot new and controversial there. Um, I, you know, this is where I think, 
if they get serious about it and they really commit to mobile content, um, they could be very disruptive because they can drive, they can drive installs and, you know, play games for free as part of your existing or for no extra charge as part of your existing uh, subscription is a very compelling value proposition. Um, you know, but to Ethan's point, if you're going to benefit from the mobile platform, you have to make games that, that lean into mobile play styles, which means you've got to have the genres that people want to play on those devices. And you've got to have apps that games that, you know, match the, 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 the play characteristics, meaning, you know, four or five sessions a day, right. Um, you know, the apps that people can play, you know, can check into, you know, as, as a, as a, as a habit. Um, and, you know, I don't know that that's where they're starting, but if they're going to get the most benefit out of the mobile platform, that's where they're going to have to go ultimately. Yeah. Hobby games, right? Like yeah. I might, I might have a uh, uh, KOTOR, uh, Jade Empire, uh, Oxenfree, uh, Transistor. These are all games installed on my phone right now. Slay the Spire. All games that I as a core gamer want to play. Uh, and I'm going to guarantee you I'm playing none of them today. Uh, but I am going to play AFK Arena six times. That's just, I mean, that's... Uh, and, and I'll probably open coin master once or twice too. And like intellectually the gamer who's like frustrated that he owns literally a thousand, I've got a PS five sitting downstairs that I bought off eBay to play ratchet and clank. And I have put more hours into coin master in September than I did into ratchet and clank because it follows me around all day and I can open up and just do the one thing real quickly. Um, and so like hobby hobby games is kind of what's what I think works the fits most people place. I mean you you talk about it all the time when you talk about uh is it Wild Rift that you're playing or like Team Fight Tactics like how the the session the session length is a little too long for you like you would play it more if the game was shorter. It's not the session length per se, it's the engagement that the session requires. Like it's pretty good like I can feed mm-hmm. the baby and p- play at the same time, but if something on an interrupt like something bad happens like like you know where I have to move around if if there's some leakage from the diaper while you're exactly. playing team fight I w- tactics I wasn't, I wasn't about to go talk about feces, but but you brought it up. But, it's, but, it's why you invite me on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Just to to take the conversation to the next level. Um, uh, so I wanted to I wanted to kind of finalize our conversation by by getting your sort of a, let's let's put you in in the shoes of 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 yourself talking to I don't know Mike Verdu. You're sitting down and and you know they say like hey we have this nearly a decade push into original programming. We think the time is right to learn more how our members value games. We have a very long-term view. You know, we started with DVD and here's where we are. Very driven company. We only care about succeeding. What do we do? Like, like what is your what is your advice for Netflix to play that long game to win in the end? Like resource is not an issue. Time is not an issue. Free reign. The only thing that we want to do is be number one. Or not number one. That's kind of weird to say number one. The only thing that we want to do is generate more value so that our so that we train retain our subscribers and we can continue increasing the subscription price and we get more share of time from uh, from from the users who are now venturing and playing these stupid AFK arenas and Candy Crush sagas and all this bullshit that they're playing while they're watching Netflix. We want them to play Netflix games while they watch Netflix. That's what we want them to do. So Chris, as the uh, as the senior who has had these discussions multiple times, most likely with, with other yeah. these type of executives, what would be your, your advice? My advice would be you're gonna want to build some of your own stuff, but you but you should really buy it. Um, because you know big corporations want to see uh you know, often say they have the appetite, but lose appetite uh, all along the way. It's happened to me a couple times. And I would, you know, I would be focused on acquiring some assets that gave me some, you know, wins that 
started to build a portfolio that showed that this thing can be successful. I mean, I'll give you an example of a game that I would buy is is uh, Splitgate, right? You know, which is how expensive is that with the okay, it's expensive with, it's expensive but it's more but it's not as expensive as buying you know activision or trying to buy blizzard or try like this is the thing is what do you think those games are ultimately worth in the end right um but i would be looking at a game if it if you think that split gate's too expensive then what's the next split gate that's coming off of steam but you know find a game that uh, you know, has got some traction, that's got good multiplayer characteristics, that's something that's underexploited, you know, Splitgate's not on mobile yet, for example, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and that's just an example of a, of, a, of a type of game. You know, another one I would look at buying would be something like maybe Payday, where it's been, you know, tied up in, you know, all the, in all the bankruptcy stuff and all that, if you clean right. that IP up, that's a uh, good money ball. Yeah. That's an underexploited IP that there's a clear path to success there. Um, but I would look to acquire some things that I could plug into Netflix and prove that works while I build a few other things. I, I think the other thing is I just have a strong bias for, I think Ethan is totally right that you have to have, um, you have to have these multiplayer games to make to to benefit from retention long term but i think you need some strong prestige wins out the gate so i think night school's the right the right uh the right acquisition the next one i would do is supermassive or something like that um but i think they need a combination of strong prestige wins and then multiplayer games that have already kind of proven it and i i would lean more on MA out the gate than i would on organic development i would do some organic development but i just you know i i would try to i would try to find early success with MA and and get ip in the process that we could uh you know that we could exploit through other parts of the company as well Ethan, what are you doing? So I like Chris's Chris's approach is let's let's buy stuff. Let's not try to build stuff, which is you know which which basically just de-risks things because you get into the operation part and you're not waiting for a hit game to come, but you already start from the point of a hit game and now you're starting multiplying that with with your with your channel. So that makes all the sense, uh, and 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 not kind of doing what they've been doing for now, where they basically kind of license their IPs for different games like the Stranger Things. There's three different Stranger Things games coming out, uh, or two of them are out already. So makes all the sense. Um, and multiplayer and uh, and so forth. I, I didn't mean that split, Splitgate is like, yeah, that's I would just assume that it's expensive because they just raised so much money. But but also the the expensiveness is not really that. Like you would have to look at what is their audience base and what is the retention of that audience base and so forth. So I mean, we've we've done the uh, the uh, the interview with uh, Ian Pru, who's the CEO of Splitgate. It just felt that they are not quite there, and they raised so much money to scale up. So if they would, in addition to being scaling up their own team, multiplying the size of the team, they would suddenly have to work on a TV show and an integration with Netflix. That would be uh, quite of a challenge. Uh, in like in addition to the challenge of what they have, and plus, I don't know what the uh, what the retention of the game is and how they're. How they're currently doing after the, uh, the the amazing launch, so that would be another thing to to look at. So it, it's not quite like the Call of Duty franchise, if you know what I mean. Yeah, High Rise Studios, by the way, would be another one that I would. That's a, see, see, they they launch like they launch a lot of stuff, and they they have like these sort of a double A games, the Smites and and Paladins. Rogue Company, right? Yeah, the, yeah, you know, yeah. That, that kind of stuff. And they 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 make hobby games, right? They make yeah. free to play hobby games. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. It's a good call. That's a, that's a good one. That's a, that's a solid one. All right, Ethan, go. Um, I think uh, I would th- look at my slate of shows, current or upcoming, and say which are the shows. I'd have two lists. What are the shows that are going to be around for ten years or more, and what are high retention hobby games and where are the natural fits, right? Cause like stranger things, that's a hit show. That's going to be around for a long time. Stranger things, battle match three is not a natural fit of IP with a hobby game. Right. 
And so I would think, okay, like I would have a list and it would be like Bridgerton Gardenscapes. There we go. Like that is a a fit of IP with kind of a, a an audience and something that has a really good long-term retention. Um, so Money Heist Payday, that's a natural fit. Stranger Things is probably a uh, secret neighbor or uh, um, that, uh, whatchamacallit, Among Us, like a hidden hidden monster asynchronous multiplayer game, right? Like, so to get the most out of what your assets are um, and to get the most, do things that are most in line with your business model, you know, you should it's not about taking things like Kate that are going to be a movie that, you know, makes us a small splash for a month. And then I don't think Kate's going to be a 10 year franchise as much as I might want to watch one, but think about the shows that are going to have long-term retention and the natural games that are going to have long-term retention that are actually matches for it. And like, maybe they, maybe their uh, reality, you know, like their reality shows are some of the best IP they could have for making long-term games for all, you know, and it's not about making an extraction game or a bird box game, but it's about making whatever that, uh, I forget that, uh, reality dating show that my wife loved, but the, where the people are behind the wall, like there's a great game mechanic there. So that's, that, that would be my thing is try and find the natural fits of, IP that's going to have a really long shelf life and games that are going to have a really long shelf life. And that's how you're going to end up building things that fit in the Netflix business model. Those are great fucking ideas, by the way. And I think you just got hired as the new head of production. for Netflix. <laughs> Can I please no, make Bridgerton no. Gardenscapes? Ethan, Ethan is not leaving <laughs> network at all. Yeah, no, I, I gotta, I gotta make my blockchain game. Crypto bro all the way. <laughs> exactly. Um, Guys, amazing conversation. Thank you so much for um, for making this very easy to moderate. I'm just listening here and taking notes and <laughs> and most easiest podcast to to moderate since you, you you're you're so uh, knowledgeable on the topic and have great opinions. So thank you so much for for doing this. That was a Thanks. blast, a lot yeah. of fun. Thank you. That's fun, Chris. I'm glad I got to uh, connect again. Yeah, same here. All right, on to part right. two. As as Netflix makes more more moves in the gaming industry, uh, and, and after they've listened to this and hired Ethan, anyways. Uh, on that note, thank you everybody for for listening, and thank you Chris, and thank you Ethan for joining. All right.